Spooky friends, we are thrilled that you chose to spend another Friday with us and honored that you made sure not to miss our latest episode. Each episode of the Murder Murder News podcast also serves as a weekly meeting for our very own true crime cults. But not to worry, you've landed in the cult with all the flower crowns and none of the flavor aid. Take a seat around the fire, cuddle up to a baby goat, and get ready as we dig into true crime history and pull up another frightening tale of murder. If you're just finding us now, allow us to introduce ourselves, your charismatic leaders. I'm Angelina, and I'm here with my sinister sister, Aurora. How's it going? Happy to be here. How about you? Ooh, uh, same. Still going on. Uh, it's March, apparently. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we've been told. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we are still accepting pledges to the MMN Commune, and it's easier than ever to join our blossoming true crime community. Just head over to patreon.com slash news and sign up for just a few bucks a month. Your support helps keep the true crime lights on. And to show you how much we appreciate it, we'll give you your own fancy title like Grandmaster of Goats, a shout out on the show, and you'll have exclusive access to our regular patron-only content. We'll be right back after a quick commercial break from one of our favorite dark-ass podcasts. Welcome to Creepy Tapas, the show where two spooky best friends give you tiny tastes of terror connected by a common ingredient. We serve up movie reviews, mysteries, murder, mayhem, and tantalizing tales from the depths of the internet, and some random bullshit too, all focused around a similar theme. We blend our love of horror, oddities, and general creepiness, and dig a little deeper, discovering the history, psychology, and truth behind your wildest fears. Join us, Ash and Jordan, as we descend into full darkness every Sunday, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Creepy Tapas, y'all. What, what? Proud members of the Dark Cast Network. And we're back. Before we dig in, we want to offer a quick disclaimer. Though we joke about forming a true crime cult, that is not to diminish the severity of actual cult activity, and we want you to know that we take the cases we're discussing very seriously. We want to deliver each story with the utmost respect to victims and anyone involved. If you feel we've missed the mark, you don't like our tone, or if you notice we've gotten any details wrong, let us know with a quick email to murdermurdernews at gmail.com and we'll make it right. Some specific trigger warnings for this episode include... Envyphobia, homophobia, gun violence, torture, and sexual assault. So if any of those are particularly sensitive subjects for you, you may want to skip this one and listen to one of our other episodes instead. Seven years ago this week, 16-year-old Kadari Johnson was murdered in what many believe was a hate crime. Eleven years earlier, Kadari's mother, Katrina, had moved her three children from Chicago, Illinois to Burlington, Iowa, in search of a safe, quiet place to raise her family. Kadari was gender non-conforming and non-binary and was occasionally bullied in school and online for wearing feminine expressing clothing and sometimes using the name Candace. That escalated when Kadari was found tortured and murdered by two cisgender men. Our sources for today include fellow DarkCast podcaster, A Hateful Homicide, Definitely give her episode a listen because she was so helpful in us telling Kadari's story. Our other sources include True Life Crime and several articles in Des Moines Register written by Courtney Crowder, who tirelessly followed Kadari's case. 
for a full list of our sources, be sure to check out our show notes. We want to start out by giving an extra disclaimer on Kadari's pronouns. We mentioned that Kadari was gender nonconforming and non-binary, but being that Kadari was only 16 and living in an era where pronouns were not widely discussed, it's a little difficult to discern what pronouns would have felt most comfortable in 2023. We know that Kadari's family uses he, him pronouns and have mentioned that offline, Kadari was comfortable using he, him when going by Kadari. When using the name Candice, she, her pronouns seemed to feel like a better fit. On some of Kadari's social media profiles, he, him was used, and on some, they, them was used. Unfortunately, we can't know what pronouns Kadari would be using today, but after giving this a lot of thought, and talking to a couple of people from the queer true crime community who are familiar with Kadari's case, we believe they, them, would have been the most respectful of their identity. Kadari was born on July 5th, 1999, in Chicago, Illinois, to parents Ivan Parker and Katrina Johnson. Their mother, Katrina, has said Kadari was born with a smile. They had an electric personality and planned on being famous one day. With three kids, Katrina struggled financially. At times, the young family was unhoused, and with rising crime in Chicago, she wanted to provide a safer, better life for her children. In 2001, she moved Kadari, their brother Cedric, and sister Nija to the small town of Burlington, Iowa. The population at the time was only 25,000. The city sits along the Mississippi River and is known for its historic Snake Alley, a seemingly needlessly windy road built in 1894. It's cute, though. After moving to Burlington, times were tough for the Johnsons. Katrina lost her job and temporarily lived in a hotel with Kadari, while Cedric stayed with a local pastor and Nigel went to stay with family in Chicago. Kadari loved their family and was determined to help support them in any way they could. They worked at a Taco Bell while in high school to help get their mom back on her feet and into an apartment. Friends of Kadari said they were so close to their mom that the two felt more like friends than mother and child. Their friend, Ash, remembers she once saw Kadari riding home on their bike one morning while balancing two big bags from McDonald's. They were excited, and when Ash asked what was going on, they told her they had just gotten their first paycheck and they were going to surprise their family with a big breakfast. Even with financial troubles, Kadari shone. They loved dancing, listening to music, and doing their hair. Kadari loved dancing at the Maple Leaf Center, a church community center that offers after-school programs, homework help, and more to kids. They loved dancing so much that they could often be spotted taking off their shoes and dancing through the hallways at school, occasionally landing them into detention. They also had a love of fashion and had thought about becoming a stylist. Kadari's school counselor, Shanda Campbell, has said Kadari didn't have a mean bone in their body. Their brother, Cedric, described a time Kadari took the fall for him. Cedric had gone to a store after having a craving for a Twix bar. When he realized he didn't have the money for it, he attempted to steal it, but was noticed by security. He took off running towards home and almost outran a police officer, but she saw the house he went into. When the officer approached the house, Cedric blamed it on Kadari, and they were punished as a result. Kadari had to sit in timeout, but didn't even know what they were being punished for. 
They could have been upset with Cedric, but instead they shared their potato chips with him and just let it go. They were just like that, forgiving and friendly to everyone. Of Kadari's gender identity, Katrina has said they were drawn to feminine toys and games as a kid. They preferred dolls over playing ball. As they got older, Kadari had begun wearing female-presenting clothing and wore their hair in long braids. They sometimes adopted the name Candace and would ask friends and family to use the name at times. Kadari was open about being gender nonconforming with those closest to them and would sometimes date boys and would sometimes date girls. Their pastor, Nathan Williams, said of Kadari, at 16, they were on the cusp of figuring themselves out. Growing up in a small town without access to an LGBTQIA community can be a challenge for a queer kid, and Kadari had been bullied at times. Friends said they had a big personality and didn't mind defending themselves. Cedric, their brother, recalled a time friends of Kadari had told a boy they liked that they were interested in him. The boy got upset and came up and punched Kadari in the jaw. They were bleeding everywhere. Online, Kadari also seemed to have a bully, an account named Nathaniel Jones, who would post things like, bitch, or I'm going to beat you up. At other times, the profile would call Kadari bae and use hard eye emojis. When friends asked who this Nathaniel was, Kadari said it was their online boyfriend. No one seemed to know who was behind this mysterious account. On Wednesday, March 2nd, 2006, Kadari was home from school on a two-day suspension. They were not a troublemaker, but they did always dance to the beat of their own drum, often quite literally, which seemed to upset some of the teachers who were apparently anti-twerking. Sometimes it was dancing down the hall, sometimes being a little sassy with teachers, and sometimes it was just putting on makeup in the bathroom when they should have been in class. The suspension seemed to be an accumulation of little acts of independence, but nonetheless, their school counselor, Shanda, knew the young extrovert would be struggling to stay home alone. Shanda has suggested checking out a clothing expo at a local auditorium. Shanda thought Kadari could possibly get paid to help out and work at the expo for a couple of days, which would be great for their love of fashion and help them earn a little extra money. The plan was for the two of them to head back to the expo on Thursday and spend some of the money Kadari had made the day before. On the afternoon of March 2nd, Kadari hung out with their good friend, Tramel. Around 7 p.m., the two headed to Hy-Vee, a supermarket, to use the Wi-Fi. Security videos captured Kadari and Tramel at Hy-Vee over the next couple of hours. They sat at the deli and worked on homework and occasionally walked around the store. At 8.52, Kadari can be seen leaving the grocery with Tramel, who had a 9 p.m. curfew, to walk in part of the way home. Kadari came back a few minutes later with their backpack and computer and went back to work at the deli. Around 9 p.m., Kadari was on their Candace profile on Facebook. They had what appeared to be an argument with someone using Nathaniel Jones again. Candace wrote, calm down on Nathaniel's profile. At 10.02, they called their mom to check in. Their mom told them to come home, and they said they might stop at the high V near their apartment to use the internet there quickly. The last thing they said to their mom was, See you later, Ma. I love you. Security cameras captured the phone call and Kadari leaving high V to head towards their friend Amari's apartment at 10.04 p.m. 
The security cameras then show a red Impala pull up behind Kadari and follow them. Kadari was heading to Amari's to pick up a couple of bras she was giving to them. It was only two blocks from Hy-Vee, but when they got to Amari's, they were freaked out about the car following them. They told Amari someone named Lumni had been following them in a red car. Amari looked out her window and saw the car parked illegally in front of her house with its headlights on. Amari didn't know who Lumni was, but was concerned enough for Kadari's safety that she offered to drive them home. Kadari said they would just walk home, and the two hung out for 15 to 20 minutes. They often hung out together watching Netflix and doing their hair and nails. While there, Kadari tried on bras and ultimately ended up wearing a white one Amari had given them. Kadari left smiling, excited for their new bras. The walk to their house was only four to five blocks, but Kadari would never be seen alive again. Between 11.25 to 11.30 p.m., around an hour after Kadari left Amari's house, 911 received multiple phone calls reporting gunshots in the vicinity of East Walnut Alley. As officers responded to the scene, they noticed the smell of bleach before spotting the body of Kadari. A black trash bag with pink handles had been tied over Kadari's head. With evidence, they had tried to claw the bag off in an attempt for air. Their arms were raised over their head with their shirt pushed up and the new white bra from Amari exposed. A bloody white t-shirt had been wrapped around their mouth and chin, and a second black trash bag had been forced into their mouth as a gag. Kadari wore leggings, which had been pulled down, exposing their genitals, with a bottle of bleach lying between their legs. That bleach had been doused on their leggings, shirt, and socks, and was believed to have been used in an attempt to destroy DNA evidence. They were wearing socks, but no shoes. Kadari had been shot twice, once through the chest through the left bra cup, which went through their heart, and once in the abdomen. There was evidence of a possible sexual assault. Though Kadari had signs of asphyxia, they ultimately died from the gunshot wounds, not asphyxiation. Between the sighting of the red impala by Amari and the security videos the night of Kadari's murder, investigators were quickly able to piece together who was responsible for the teen's brutal death. Kadari had mentioned to Amari that they believed they were being followed by someone named Lumni, who pretty much everyone in the community knew. Lumni was a nickname for 23-year-old Jorge Galvez Sanders. Cedric, Kadari's brother, had seen him around town playing basketball, and he was often spotted around the Maple Leaf Center where Kadari would hang out after school. Lumni could be seen pulling up to the high V with a friend, 26-year-old West Jaron Perham, in a red Impala at 9.41 p.m., which was a time when Kadari would have been at the grocery working on homework. Lumni and West are never seen on camera interacting with Kadari, though there were areas in the store the cameras were unable to spot. At 10.03 p.m., Lumni and West were spotted leaving the high V at the same time Kadari coincidentally left to head to Amari's. They can be seen on surveillance video looking in Kadari's direction. At 10.04, there is video of the Impala pulling up behind Kadari. And we know Kadari did safely make it to Amari's house at that time. 
The testimony from Amari combined with the security footage was enough evidence for police to secure a warrant on March 10th for 2610 Madison, a home about two miles from Hy-Vee where Lumney and West were known to stay. Inside, they found Kadari's high school ID inside of their backpack, their missing shoes, and a box of black trash bags with pink handles, the same found at the crime scene. They also collected ammunition, a fingernail, sheets, and a condom believed to be tied to Kadari's murder. Lumney's phone was able to be traced to a location near the alley where Kadari was shot shortly before the 911 calls were placed. Lumney and West were not at the house and had been rumored to skip town. There was also a search warrant for the Red Impala, which police spotted in Florissant, Missouri, a few days later. Police attempted to pull the vehicle over, which led to a high-speed chase. Ultimately, the Impala crashed into a police car with West inside. He was accompanied by a woman and her small child. He took off on foot, but police caught up with him. A gun was found in the car with his fingerprints, and this was the gun believed to be used in Kadari's murder. He was arrested and initially denied knowing Kadari. He later admitted to picking Kadari up with Lumni. He referred to Kadari as she and said they spotted Kadari at High V. He said they talked to Kadari and they got into the back seat and didn't say much. According to him, Lumni and Kadari dropped him off at a friend's house and presumably drove off together to have sex. Police knew Lumni and West, who were cousins, would often bring women back to the house to have sex with them and do drugs, apparently very comfortable having sex in front of each other. On April 12th, police finally tracked down and arrested Lumni in Kirkwood, Missouri. He denied knowing Kadari and said West dropped him off at the house and he hung out alone that night. Yet, Lumni's phone told a different story. He first did a search for Kadari's murder at 4 a.m., hours after their murder. He searched for things like Burlington, Iowa shooting and clicked on articles about Kadari's murder and investigation. And as to knowing Kadari, Lumni was friends with Kadari's Candace Facebook account, and the two were in a group chat together. Kadari's family and friends are unsure if the two had ever met up in person or just knew each other from living in the same town. There were no personal chats or interactions between the two on social media. Some have speculated that the Nathaniel Jones account could have belonged to Lumney, but it sounds like that really is just speculation. Lumney and West had conflicting accounts of what happened that night, but the Department of Justice got involved after Lumney repeatedly used a homophobic slur to describe Kadari. Prosecutors believe that the motive behind their murder was related to their gender expression and theorized that Lumney and West had initially wanted to pick up Kadari, believing they were assigned female at birth, and got angry when they realized Kadari was not. Killing someone based on their gender identity sure sounds like a hate crime, but unfortunately in Iowa, the hate crime bill does not provide protections for gender identity. Lumney and West were not charged with a hate crime. They were both charged with first-degree murder. On December 18, 2017, Lumney was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. On November 19, 2018, West was also sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Katrina, Kadari's mom, was unsatisfied with the sentencing. 
Here's her victim impact statement as read by the court. Your Honor, my son Kadari Johnson was a loving son, brother, grandson, nephew, and cousin. He was very compassionate and caring. He had an infectious smile. Kadari could walk into a doll room and it would be filled with light and joy. His personality was amazing. So for my two other children, Cedric and Nija, as well as myself and other family members, to deal with this is wrong. Kadari was robbed and deprived of his life. He was still a baby. My loving baby still has whole life ahead of him. And from March 2nd, 2016, until I take my last breath, I will forever have a deep hole in my heart. His birthday and every special holiday, it doesn't even have to be either one of those days, but just to wake up and not see his face, his smile, or hear his laugh, I can never hear him say, I love you, Mom, ever again. Who would have ever thought his see you later actually meant see you later? No one knows what it feels like to not sleep. It's coming up on two years that Kadari has been gone. All I have left of him is his ashes, pictures, and videos. That still doesn't make it better. No punishment can ever bring back my son because it won't be enough. Even though George Sanders Galvez will spend the rest of his life behind bars, at least he still has the rest of his life. He will be able to have visits from his family, see pictures of his son growing up, and will be able to share in what life experiences that his family celebrates. I only have memories of my son. I do hope he gets the punishment he deserves and rots in hell. Thank you, Katrina Johnson, the proud mother of Kadari Johnson. Kadari's family, along with prosecutors in their case, are disappointed that there are still no laws at a federal level or state level protecting gender identity. That is incredibly sad. And the worst thing about, I think, the fact that there aren't laws specifically addressing that, uh, it seems like people then take those things less seriously, you know, yeah. and like like they're treating this uh, victim as less than human. Um, like just the people who uh, are watching on Patreon uh, have seen the video, whereas you on the um, podcast side are just hearing the audio. But in the video, um, they were focused a lot on um, the, su- the suspect, the perpetrator. Oh, yeah. And he was... Uh, looking bored and like just unaffected. He's rolling his eyes at point, just completely does not care. Like just absolutely does not care about what he did. Absolutely. And I think it would be taken a lot more seriously and like just it would it would come across a different way if there were specific laws protecting gender identity to like it would sink in what exactly this person had done and, you know, what exactly has been lost. And I think it's not, uh, I I don't know, there's something missing. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And this is such a great example, you know, like it it sets a a precedent to families that like your loved one matters, like that this was done out of hate. Um, This wasn't like a crime of passion or just a random act. Like this was done in a moment of hate. And I think that would have meant so much to Katrina to have gotten that Mm -hmm. conviction. And I know that she has worked with Idaho legislators uh, to work on hate crime bills to include gender identity. So that's good, because uh, I think what what I feel is that um, 
without that in place, um, the perpetrator feels like they're somehow justified. Like, uh, you know, the, the, the gay panic defense, for example, like just, uh, this kind of a thing where, uh, if they think, oh, I expected to find, um, you know, certain genitals and found others, like, is that, uh, a good reason to murder? That's exactly what his defense team attempted in this situation. Absolutely. Right which is not acceptable in any capacity. And I think if the law was written a little differently to uh, take that in mind, then uh, they wouldn't feel like they had that justification. Absolutely. So what are you watching this week? Um, You know, I like things have just been in this like state of chaos for me. So I have been watching more palate cleansy sorts of shows. And honestly, the only thing I've watched in the past week has been Love Island, which is the worst of the trash. The worst reality show? (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's probably on par with like the other trash I watch, honestly. But Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's, it's pretty bad. And it's like a British show. And they like just make more episodes per season than American shows. Like now the average, because of like Netflix coming in and putting all their budget into 10 episodes, usually you're like used to getting like short seasons, like 10 to 15 episodes. Uh, I think I'm on episode like 37. Oh yeah. And like, there's like over 40 and I'm like, (sighs) I I just want it to be over. (laughs) That's so funny. It's like it used to be like that in America as well. Because like when I watch old shows, like when I'm rewatching, you know, Cheers, it'll be like episode 34 of this season. And like they never do that anymore, which is really frustrating. And in like it's you don't want 37 episodes, but you also don't want six. Like, I want I feel 37 like, episodes of Shit's Creek. I do not yeah. want 37 episodes of Love Island. Of Love Island, no. <laughs> like, I need resolution. You're like, I'm engaged. It's not like I'm bored, but I'm like, I feel like I'm but spending every day with these people. And <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like going on a vacation and like you love your friends at the beginning. And by the end of it, it's like, you want to go home. To go home <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. And like, yeah. it's feeling like that. Like, please, Love Island, go home. Like, please get out of my mind. <laughs> I need you to end. <sighs> I love that. That's so so um, it's okay. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's very entertaining, but um, I don't recommend getting yourself into it. If I would have known how many episodes it had, I might not have gone down this road. <laughs> uh, but how about you? What are you watching? Uh, well, I started watching this series about um, the Wu-Tang Clan, Ooh. which is interesting. It's called Wu-Tang, an American Saga. Oh. It's on Disney+. Plus. It's a, a dramatization. Um, so it's just like a dramatic series <clears throat> with actors um, and such. But it's, uh, it's really in-depth and very... Uh, it's just shocking to think of um, the background that these people came from and their lifestyles growing up. And even as they were sort of up and coming artists, um, I'm shocked at the crime and the, and the, the violence and murder going on all around them uh, every day and that they still found it um, like they were still interested in music and still wanted to go and, and, you know, do shows and like record albums and like still wanted to push for that no matter how many people um, they lost around them or no matter how much weird drama pushed them out of different towns and whatever out of different relationships. Uh, I think it's it's just uh, pretty astounding because I think these days like gangster rappers are like coming from wealthy backgrounds and they're m- making 
fake raps that really don't speak to the life they live. But this is like the real stuff. The OGs, yeah, it was definitely so. like it's... a very good era, like much more political, I would say. Oh, and yeah. Like I would probably say like probably like the average rapper did not come from like wealth now, but um, but it's certainly much less political. Like it's more mm. about like making dancey, cute music, which is like... Mm. Which is fine. Like, we all need that. We all need a break from sometimes, like, the bad things that are really happening. But, yeah. but it was such a great era for music, for sure. It really was. That's definitely my favorite for, like, rap and hip-hop was, the, like, the 90s. But um, yeah. I guess I was thinking specifically of people, like, because I was like, how does this compare to, like, the story of Drake coming up, <laughs> who's, like, from Toronto? Oh. And it's like, Drake was, like, just, like, uh, you know, regular... Toronto, uh, upper middle class family, like yeah. he was an actor. He's like I'm a just picturing that circumstance. But I'm sure I he mean, is. He, I think but he's like, like a, a one off on that. <laughs> I feel like the super famous, the super famous flashy people, like when they're rapping kind of gangster rap style, it it comes off as phony. Uh, coming out these days, you know. Um, I'm sure there's definitely a lot of people that come from rough backgrounds, but I guess yeah. Uh, I, I, and I would say most. Like I really love rap. And like most are not Drake and like most True. I think are like very talented. Like I, I really enjoy like modern music and like whatever, <laughs> but um, most definitely came from um, tough backgrounds even today. But the music is just more dancey. Drake is a disaster yeah. and I think probably yeah. a predator. So. And even still, I mean, like <clears throat> even thinking, oh, uh, a lot of a lot of folks come from rough backgrounds. Uh, I, I got to hope that uh, uh most of it doesn't compare to this because <laughs> it's just wild um yeah. like so 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 many murders and so many like just i don't know while still kind of starting to get known for your music just having to resort to um crime and things like that and still having no way out of those groups um of people that are just like threatening your life no matter who you're becoming and no matter you know what music you're making and who's discovering you it's just so yeah I would love to hear more of those stories for sure Mm -hmm. I I think that that's a good point like I think we don't know I I think like being like two white women living in kind of like (laughs) middle class like whatever like there's still a lot in another world for sure but like the problem is is that we don't give funding to tell those stories and it's like I would love to hear more of you know like what is really happening behind the scenes for a lot of musicians and such I think that'd be great because this sounds awesome and I want to watch that (laughs) yeah it's it's really super good and would definitely recommend it and I would like to see more of that too and like I think it is a, a really sort of untapped area where it's like the um I I remember finding uh a podcast recently which I um used as a source for one of my recent uh, stories and uh it, the podcast was focusing on the intersection of crime and music and um that's fascinating of course they're all over the place because you're going from like you know the stories of all time so there's a lot of things to touch on and there's a lot right. of more and less famous stories but i'd love to see more in the form of like documentaries on that yeah or... remember when mtv used to make those little like mini documentaries yeah, behind the music <laughs> yes <laughs> i that love those good. yeah let's bring that back yeah totally Maybe it's already here i don't know i don't watch Maybe. mtv i don't have yeah cable. who knows <laughs> <laughs> who knows what's happening on cable yeah. they've got all this stuff that we're bitching about and they're like hello just oh, like um, get cable and yeah. you have every show <laughs> you've been on asking TV. for yeah <laughs> but, go to uh, mtv.com <laughs> right 
But as an aside, I have also been listening to nothing but 90s hip hop since we started watching this because all those songs get stuck in my head and I am loving it. That's amazing. (laughs) It's a fun week. (laughs) Yeah, very good stuff. I love Mm -hmm. 90s hip hop. (laughs) Well, I guess that's enough murder for one week. If you need more, make sure to bookmark murdermurder.news. Stay up to date with the latest breaking true crime stories all week, every week. And please follow us on Instagram at Murder Murder News, on Twitter at Murder News, mm. on TikTok at Murder Murder News, and on Facebook, you can find us just by searching for Murder Murder News. And while you're there, you can also join our Facebook group, which will also pop up when you search for Murder Murder News. Group members can look under the events tab to find all the info you need about any upcoming events, including our monthly book club meetings. This month, we're reading The End of Policing by Alex S. Vitali. And we can't wait to chat about it with you on Zoom Sunday, March 26th. If you like what you've been hearing each week on the podcast, let us know by leaving our show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And make sure to subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast platform so you never miss an episode. See you next Friday. Bye, spooky friends. Murder, murder.